Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Good to have everybody back this week. Uh, A lot of big news this week in the last week or so, I'd say. And uh, that's going to kick off this week's Cloud News of the Week. So um, really four big things that we kind of wanted to highlight for people this week um, in no particular order. Um, The first one is that our good friends, um, uh, Mark Hinkle and uh, and Sebastian, who had previously been on talking about Kubeless. Both of them had previously been, uh, you know, working at cloud.com and were over at Citrix working on CloudStack and so forth. They just recently lost, launched a company called Trigger Mesh, and Trigger Mesh is going to be focused on uh, serverless management, uh, really a lot of focus around Knative. So congratulations to both Mark and Sebastian and the whole team at Trigger Mesh for, uh, for launching the product and uh, definitely launching into a very hot space here with Knative and serverless, um, definitely a company we will have on the show here very, very soon. So congratulations to them. The next thing is our friends at HashiCorp, uh, Mitchell and, and the rest of the team over there, um, just recently took $100 million in a new round of funding. Uh, that funding round put HashiCorp uh, at a valuation of $1.9 billion. So congratulations to them both on the big funding round, uh, to Mitchell, who recently just got married. So congratulations on that huge life event. Um, and really, you know, uh, a company that when we had on years and years ago when they were just doing Vagrant and, uh, you know, barely breaking even selling uh, Vagrant to people that wanted to, to spin up local resources on their desktop to to now being, uh, you know, a very, very large player in a lot of different infrastructure things, everything from uh, Vagrant still to Terraform to Vault to Console to lots of different platforms in that space. So uh, congratulations to that team. The third thing was uh, today, uh, November 6th, uh, as we as we record this, uh, VMware acquired Heptio. So Heptio, a uh, company that was very focused on Kubernetes and was founded by a couple of the people who were part of the original Kubernetes team at Google, uh, Craig McLucky and Joe Beta. Um, so they were recently acquired uh, today by VMware. So congratulations to them. Um, you know, and I think what you're seeing so far in the first three stories is uh, – a uh, couple of things. Number one, um, you know, the the market still very much is interested in open source, putting a lot of money into open source, um, and uh, you know, and we're seeing a little bit of consolidation in the uh, in the Kubernetes space. So, um, you know, as some of the, the distributions and the companies focus on Kubernetes uh, came to market, we're seeing some consolidation around that. And then the final one uh, is uh, probably the biggest story, uh, really one of the biggest stories we've seen in the industry in a very long time, and that is IBM announcing its uh, intention to acquire Red Hat for $34 billion. So I say big in terms of one of the largest uh, software deals uh, in the industry's history, uh, $34 billion for uh, Red Hat. That deal will is, is slated to not close until sometime probably in the second half of next year due to regulatory stuff, IBM being a huge company and having to get through a lot of regulatory things in a lot of different companies, uh, a lot of different countries, excuse me. And that's one that uh, unfortunately due to my uh, day job at Red Hat, I can't really comment upon, but uh, you know, uh, lots of you know, we'll put some things in the show notes about all of these things, uh, some uh, perspective from different analysts, from different uh, industry uh, third parties about about all these acquisitions. And I think really what we're seeing this week was uh, a lot, a lot of valuation put around open source software. Um, that's something that obviously we've talked about a lot. We had uh, JJ on recently to talk about, uh, you know, his whole idea around open source funding and open source uh, uh, valuations and so forth. But, you know, open source having value, companies being willing to pay for it, whether those are VCs or, or larger companies, consolidation in the Kubernetes space and uh, 
you know, a lot of those things are topics that if you've been following this show for a long time, you're, you're very, very aware of. But, uh, you know, really a lot of things happening here uh, very quickly in the last week or so. So that's going to wrap it up for the cloud news of the week. Uh, just like last week, we are very, very excited to have Datadog as a sponsor of our cloud news of the week. Uh, so today's show is sponsored by Datadog. Datadog, for those of you that don't know, and all of you should know about Datadog by now, Datadog is a cloud scale monitoring and analytics platform. Datadog was built to bring clarity to complex dynamic applications, both in the public cloud, on-premises, whether they're in containers, wherever you want to run those applications, Datadog can help you make sure that you're monitoring and analyzing them correctly. Datadog provides really powerful dashboards, seamless integrations with more than 250 technologies. So really, all the technologies that you use today, whether they're in your data center or out in the public cloud, uh, open source or vendor-driven technologies, they provide deep end-to-end visibility into the health and performance of modern applications. So as you're trying to visualize key metrics in your applications, you're trying to set alerts to identify anomalies or really collaborate with your team to troubleshoot and fix problems, Datadog is a great choice for helping you analyze and monitor those applications and ultimately make your business successful. So uh, try it out yourself for free. Uh, You can start with a free 14-day trial today. Our listeners, Cloudcast listeners, will receive a free Datadog t-shirt. We've talked about the shirt in the past. It's a great shirt. Uh, I wear mine all the time. My daughter wears hers all the time. Uh, You can just go to uh, bit.ly bit.ly slash datadog dash cloudcast and tell them your friends at the cloudcast sent you. Um, if you sign up for a 14 day trial, uh, you can try out the service, you get the t-shirt. So once again, that's bit.ly slash datadog dash cloudcast to sign up for your free 14 day trial, get your awesome t-shirt uh, and go, uh, you know, give some love to the folks at datadog. So with that, we're going to get to our interview. Aaron had a chance to sit down with uh, a gentleman named Lee Eason, who is um, co-founder of, uh, director of DevOps at Aprio, uh, co-founder of Takata.io. Lee sat down with us at All Things Open in Raleigh and talked about their DevOps transformation. So Lee had gone through uh, and had led a huge DevOps transformation at Aprio. Um, All of the organization's 30 or so software products, about 65 scrum teams. So really walked us through tales from a DevOps transformation. It's a really good interview. Aaron got a chance to really kind of go in depth with Lee about uh, the lessons they learned, how they were able to make these transformations, and ultimately what was the business impact for that. So with that, uh, take a listen to Aaron's interview with Lee. Okay, we're here at All Things Open 2018 here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Brian wasn't able to make it. It's just Aaron. Um, And I'm here today with Lee Eason. Um, We're going to be talking about uh, Lee's upcoming session later today. So, Lee, why don't you give everyone a quick introduction and a little bit about the company that kind of brought you here as well? Sure, yeah. So, Lee Eason, I've been at a company called iPrio for about three and a half years, a little over three and a half years. And we were actually just acquired over the week of the summer by a larger public company called IHS Market. So iPrio had about 30 financial-related products and services. We sold software to big banks, and they would do things uh, with our products like take companies public. So Facebook, Alibaba, uh, Snapchat, um, most the majority of IPOs happen on our on our platform. We also sold software to municipalities, so they would do things like raise bonds. So 98% of municipal bond raising in the U.S. happens on our platform. So almost any hospital or publicly funded you know, road, bridge, school would, would get funded through our software. And then we had um, products for small private companies, too, to help them figure out what their valuation is um, and keep track of you know, stock equity uh, type of distribution. So big wide range and now there's 60 
financial related. Yeah, we, we were products. talking about that before we hit yeah. record here. Yeah, your, your job just got a lot harder. Yeah, well, a lot a lot more exciting. I yeah, think. it's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we've been going through a, a big DevOps transformation over the past few years, and so we've we've really kind of fundamentally changed the way we bring products to uh, production, and uh, it's it's made for a lot of change for for our teams. We have about sixty five product teams just in legacy iprio so a lot of change a lot of really interesting stuff and and how so tell us a little bit about okay there was this this multi-year journey that you're going to be talking about later today but set the stage where were you three years ago what were some of the challenges yeah so you know we we had we had the the kind of uh traditional it group i think many many folks listening would would relate to you know you had very segregated IT. Um, they took software from application development teams, actually engineered it into infrastructure. Uh, that was sort of a black box for most of our application development teams. They didn't have very much visibility into production. Um, and, you know, what's, what's interesting is when you start pulling on threads like that and you start trying to understand why things are set up the way that they are, you almost always find really good reasons, Right. And I think it's tempting sometimes for us to throw rocks and stones, but the truth of the matter is people make the best decisions they can with the tools they have at the time. Um, and so pulling all that stuff apart was was a really kind of long process, but uh, our, our application developers, you know, getting more connected to production puts them more in contact with their customers, which leads to better quality um, But, yeah, it was a very different world three years ago. Yeah, and, and so... Um, what were kind of some of the, like, everyone's always interested in those first baby steps, mm. right? Everyone, everyone wants to know those first baby steps. Like, how'd you get started? How'd you get the ball rolling? Mm-hmm. And then, and then everyone wants to know the success story. So let's start with the baby steps, right? So sure. what was, what was kind of those first things you started to tackle and those first changes you started to make? Yeah. So I, I kind of came up with this sort of three tiered approach, enablement, mentoring, and coaching. And uh, what I did early on is I started doing a bit of research um, and I needed to understand sort of on the spectrum uh, of teams that were further along or already starting to try and make some progress themselves versus teams that really weren't aware of, you know, how you could be doing things differently. Where were our teams? So I did some internal surveys. I asked them some subjective, subjective questions like, when it comes time to deploy your software, how do you feel? How confident are you in that? That's a really easy question to ask, and it, it's a 1 to 10 scale or 1 to 5 scale, um, so people can respond pretty quickly. That tells you a lot about what's going on behind the scenes, right? So I was, I was using data like that to try and figure out, okay, where are the big hotspots? Where are the problem areas from a technology perspective? And then I would ask other questions, right? I'd start to just have conversations with dev leads and tech leads, and I'd try and get a feel for them about who are my eager beaver adopters, Right, And then the third thing that I started trying to figure out was, from a business growth perspective, where was the company trying to make investments and grow and, and accelerate or improve quality? And you take kind of the converge, convergence of those three angles, and that tells you where your shorted weighted job first is, right? Sure. So then that's who you're going to partner with in the beginning really closely. Now you're going to, you know, you don't want to discriminate necessarily. So you're going to provide tools for the whole company. You're going to provide services for the whole company. But when I came time to choose where am I going to spend my time, I, I wanted to focus on the area that was a growth area for the company. I had eager beaver adopters and I had teams that were at least already interested in making the right steps in the right direction. That's where you get your baby steps from. Right. And when you get those early wins 
um, inside uh, those areas, it makes it much easier then to spread that out across the other groups. And so, you know, yeah, there there were folks that were not buyers of what I was trying to sell, but I just didn't spend a lot of time on those folks because there were plenty of other opportunities where, you know, making an investment in time or tools would, would yield a really good return. Over time, the business leads from those sort of slow adopters started to see, wow, there's a really big difference in net promoter score. There's a big difference in quality and uh, throughput of value to our customers in these areas. So why aren't my teams doing this? And so then the pressure comes from the the business lead or the line of business head, not from some random guy that you know yeah. got brought in to fix right, everything. Right. Well, and I really like that approach as well because you know um, a lot of uh, fans of the podcast that have been listening for a long time remember you know way back when uh, there was the the release of the Phoenix Project, mm. um, and it, you know and it tells a very classical story. But it, the one thing it's always done is it tells that story from a you know there's one person who's in charge of the department and the team, but you're coming at it from an angle of you you have a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. And so you have a, you have to pick and choose and get your buy-in in a very, very different way. It's a very yeah. matrixed kind of organization when it comes to getting those kinds of results. Now, flip, flip that on its, on its head for a second. Not just, you know, obviously one challenge is going to be um, status quo. But what are some of the other, you know, typical challenges you faced really early on? Um, I, I know, like, for instance, I, one that kind of surprised me in, in your abstract, uh, you mentioned security. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tend to try and avoid the topic just solely because uh, Brian and I, we're, we're not from that background and we know enough to be really dangerous. <laughs> um, so tell us, a, and that was a fascinating, you know, one that you kind of put in the abstract. So tell us, you know, what are some of those challenges? Yeah, it, you know, you work in financial technology, you can't avoid it. Of course. Right? It's, it is at the core of everything we do. And you know, we, we made some overtures early on where we said quality is owned by the whole team. I, th- I think that's a, that's a pretty common um, thing you'll hear from folks. Quality is owned by the whole team. But we, we had to also say security is owned by the whole team. And, and this is a conversation we have even at the, with broader IHS market. And we talk about who's really ultimately responsible for guaranteeing quality. And it has to be the application delivery teams. The challenge is in how are you enabling them to do that? and not sacrifice speed and throughput? How are you teaching them what they need to know, Um, right? So when we talk about things like, um, I wanna make it easier to deploy changes into production, how are you guaranteeing that you're only deploying changes to production that you're aware of and that you want to deploy to production, right? Are there possibilities, like what are you doing to think about internal bad actors? What safeguards do you have in place to make sure you don't have someone inside the company who's been compromised? You know, these are the, the things that happen, and most security incidents actually come from that type of direction. So I think, I think a lot of thought leaders in DevOps, myself included, have a very lofty opinion of people who do software development. But the truth is, you know, when you work in a company like IHS Market or any other financial company or you know, companies that deal with personal information or healthcare, you have to think a little more defensively and you have to set up these these really cool automation pipelines with an eye toward how am I doing this in a way that I'm, I'm guaranteeing the safety of my customer's data so that I'm not putting someone at risk um, on the altar of moving faster. And how much of that um, comes from, you know, a, a knowledge of DevOps and the background you have there? Or how much of that is also just you have a... You have a very specific uh, um, SaaS platform, 
mm. background, and you have a you've been doing that for a number of years. Um, and it, it's been interesting because we've talked about it on the podcast a number of times, but. Um, to be quite frank, to have somebody from Raleigh <laughs> with that kind of background is 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 kind of exceptional. And and so, you know, tell everyone a little bit about about kind of the growth of you know maybe that intersection, if you will, of SaaS platforms and DevOps, because most people are just con- used to consuming a SaaS platform. It's just it's the platform, yeah, right. And and then you know how do you, how did you handle that? Because you're kind of handling the flip side of that a bit. Yeah, uh, let me let me try and piece together an answer to that yeah. so <laughs> no one yeah that, that one wasn't scripted so go ahead <laughs> i love it i mean you know saas is software as a service is a great enabling innovation mm-hmm. right it it allows a, a provider to get value into the hands of their customers really quickly and it's enabled a whole different class of cost companies and and products really exciting kind of the way that you know then amazon and public cloud comes along and they say oh you can consume your infrastructure through this api that's a new kind of innovation and it enables a whole new class of products and ways to do business devops is you know if if i'm talking to a startup it's a very different type of conversation right that's just the way that you do work it's the way that you engineer your development uh, kind of the approach to building software and and for SaaS, you know that delivery pipeline can be measured in minutes, right? In the, so the time that a valuable code change sits on the shelf is very short. If I'm delivering software to a desktop environment, to a mobile application, it's really difficult to get it down to that speed. It's almost impractical. Um, but that's kind of the, the neat opportunity for DevOps with SaaS companies is you can deliver new features and value, um, whether that's bug fixes or whatever, to your customers in minutes from the time that it's done. Uh, from the time that a developer writes it. And so that's that's inventory not sitting on a shelf, right? So if I'm if I'm running Office Max or Staples or whatever, I don't want inkjet cartridges on the shelf because I've bought them and they're just sitting there, right? And they're not actually providing any value to me as a store owner. And if I'm running a software development shop and I have coders who have written valuable changes and that code is committed and it's done and it's ready for customers, but it's not in front of customers. It's just inventory on a shelf. So DevOps for SaaS is a huge return on investment. When you think about technical process improvement, you're actually lowering your liabilities and you're maximizing your investment in software development. And, and what would you say, because you, you kind of live in the DevOps space day in and day out, what is your opinion of the industry or the movement of DevOps? Or I shouldn't call it an industry over the last uh, couple of years. It seems to be making very good progress. And if you go look at like, you know, the DevOps Enterprise Summit, there's, you know, it's, it's customer driven mm-hmm. at this point. Um, is that a trend you're seeing of, you know, it's the adoption is increasing and it is becoming more important? And is it, and is it a little bit like, you know, your original journey of, well, you had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is customer driven. Right. And, and it's funny, you know, three years, three and a half years ago, our business leads, you know, I don't think they, they certainly didn't understand what DevOps was. Um, and to be honest, I didn't understand what DevOps was. Right. Um, what happened was our, our business leads were saying, look, our customers are upset because we're not able to get changes to them fast enough or reliably enough. Uh, it takes too long to get things done. Our lead time isn't where it needs to be. So even with without metrics showing that, it was intuitively obvious that was a problem, right? Um, where I see the DevOps movement, where today it's really exciting actually, because a few years ago, it was really foc- we hyper focused on tools, and you had the chief technology officer of Chef saying things like, um, 
you know, behaviors reinforce tools and tools reinforce behaviors. So if you want to change behaviors, change the tools. I think there's wisdom in that, but I think we, we hyper-focused on tools instead of recognizing that what we're really trying to do with DevOps is we're correcting a long, slow process where we've formed a habit of not investing in things we should have been investing in. Yeah. Right? It's a, it's a fundamental misunderstanding about how to produce software. Our business executives don't understand the craft of software development. They don't understand how investments in technical process improvement lead to better business outcomes. So that voice has been missing. DevOps is kind of stepping in and it's helping them understand that problem. Right. So we're, we're, we're not, we don't have a tooling problem. We have a habit problem yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a tough right. habit to break. Yeah. Right. It takes, it's, we're talking about behavior change and we're dealing with people's values that have been reinforced with annual bonuses with you know performance reviews for years and years or decades, yep. that's a very difficult thing to change. Yeah, and it's it's almost like the the intersection of two data center trends. The first one being, and this one has always been this way for as long as I've been in this industry. The the idea of you know IT as a cost center a lot of times, mm, right? Yeah. And and so keep the margins or, or you know keep the budget down as much as you can, but keep the lights on and keep everything running. But then you have the idea of, yeah, software and the software front end moving the business significantly. And so now you're, you're completely cutting off the revenue stream. And so it is forcing this transformation and this change uh, going forward. So, no, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, certainly I want to spend money really wisely, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't want to waste money. Um, but I also recognize that if we're selling a software-based product – then at the end of the day, what I'm selling is the output of somebody at a keyboard typing on their keyboard, right, writing some code. And that person's ability to do that really, really well makes a huge difference for my business. And I need to understand how to help that person master that craft. Because if they're masters of their craft, I'm going to have a Slack product as opposed to you know, a hip chat product, yep. right? And I think that's something that companies like Slack get. They just fundamentally understand that the user experience is driven by mastery of that, that technical uh, tool. You know, it's, it's the analogy I use a lot of times. is like if you think of a painter, they wrestle with their materials. They wrestle, you know, their brush is annoying because the horsehair keeps falling out or the canvas is too porous or the oils are too runny and I put too much thinner in them or, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know software developers, whether you're in UX or you're coding a backend, we we likewise wrestle with our our materials uh, to try and translate this creative thing, this concept in our heads, into something real, concrete. And the better that those people are at mastering that, the better product I'm going to get. It's going to make me more competitive in the marketplace. Oh, that's great. That's great. So Lee, um, we're going to kind of wrap on that. Then what? Uh where can everyone find out more about you, find out more about the talk, your company? Yeah, you know. so you can you can find us online at ihsmarket.com. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Lee J. Eason. And, uh, of course, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to engage on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. Okay, and probably at an upcoming DevOps Days as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'll be at, um, of course, I'm speaking today here, but I'll be at TechWell East in Orlando in a couple weeks. Fantastic. All right. Thanks so much, Aaron. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.